welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. And it's a depleted squad this week. We've just got Peter here. How's it going, lads? And Danny. How are we doing, boys? No Carl or anyone else, so it's just the three of us. Let's get on with it. Uh, let's start with City in Newcastle. Uh, Sergio Aguero on fire with two and a bit goals. And uh, he seems to have kind of gone under the radar this season, what with Kevin De Bruyne and Sterling and everyone else seeming to be very impressive. But that's actually 20 goals that he's got this season, which is uh, very impressive, Peter. Uh, yeah, I think um, he gets 20 goals nearly every season, um, if I can remember correctly. He's a ridiculous scoring record against Newcastle as well. I think he scored like 14 goals against them now and he averages a goal like every 50 minutes against Newcastle or something. They'll be happy to see the back of him. The only thing is, I still, I, I think the general feeling is anyway that he still isn't Guardiola's cup of tea in terms of what he wants from a striker. We've discussed before that Pep doesn't really like the, the traditional number nine. He likes the kind of forward players maybe a bit like Sanchez, who can play all across the, the front and, and to interchange with, with, the other, with, with the other players because Aguero is quite static. He kind of, you know, he's an old-fashioned striker. He stands in the round where the ball's going to drop to shoot. So uh, as brilliant as he is, and I don't think he's got enough credit over the years, like I don't think he's ever been nominated for the PFA Player of the Year or into a PFA Team of the Year. That was his 138 Premier League goal in two in 200 games. He's one of the best strike rates ever, ever as well in the Premier League. But I think they'll let him go in the summer. And whoever he goes to will be getting a, a cracking player. I think the general feeling from whatever I've read as well is that he, he will probably leave City in the summer, even though he guarantees goals, and he always has done. But I think with Guardiola, that, that just isn't enough for his, uh, for his front men, you know? Yeah, he's one of these... Um... And we always like to talk about the flexibility of strikers these days, you know, that, that there's not that many out-and-out out number nines or, or foxes in the boxes or just natural finishers. And it's it seems like managers do want players that can can fit into a system and uh, and play different roles and not just have a role of a goal scorer or, uh, or a great finisher. And it's a bit of a shame because it's like it's a bit of a dying art in the last 20 years, I think we have seen a lot less foxes in the boxes. They're the sort of players, you know, as as, as a young lad, you always grew up. I was a, a massive Robbie Fowler fan. You know, they're one of these players that they might be quiet. They mightn't be doing uh, uh, the, the hard graft and the pulling defenders out of position like some other players might be. But at the end of the, at the end of the game, the game was two 0 and they'd scored both goals and they hadn't done much else in the game. They've done the hardest thing there is to do in football, uh, and it's why they've always cost the most the most amount of money. Strikers, that is. Well, I wouldn't say it'd be a shame to see Aguero go because uh, as a, a rival fan, he's one of the best strikers the Premier League has ever seen. He's for me, is he the best finisher the Premier League's ever seen? He's right up there, yeah. He's right up there. Henri was a fantastic finisher. Robbie Fowler was a lovely natural finisher as well. But he improves any squad in the world. And and he and he, he, he improves any team in the world. He walks into Real Madrid side. He gets into Barcelona side. For me, he does. Anyway, there's players out there, their job is to create. Their job is to put balls on a plate for someone that can can put them away. He's your man. There's no one better in the league. His goal ratio, if he does end up leaving in the summer uh, and leaving um, the Premier League, I'd say his goal rate will be, for anyone that scored uh, like a, a decent amount of goals, you know, I'm sure you've had the odd guy that scored 
um, 10 goals in 12 games or something like that. But for him, what did you say, Peter? 138 goals, was it? Yeah, Danny, I, I was looking it up today because I, I was writing uh, five things we learned from the Premier League. And the best yeah. I could get, it, the latest one was from 2016. And at that stage, I think he averaged, yeah, he was averaging a goal, I think it was every 106 minutes. I think it's nine more and he's got 200 for City, which is an incredible record. And I, I, I think City fans will always think of him as a legend for their club, obviously with the, the goal to clinch the title and all, and all of that, and all of the goals that he scored for them over that time. But Peter, you mentioned it there. Is he, is he a, a Premier League great? I mean, obviously his numbers stack up to make him so, but like, you know, will people remember him in that way? Yeah, well, I think he already has his Sky 100 goal show, doesn't he? And uh, he's Man City's highest goal scorer ever. I don't know. I think he had, I can't remember, but I think he, he's on course to probably be the first player to ever score over 200 goals from even by the end of this year. I, th- I don't think he's got the credit he deserves while he's here, but I, I think when he leaves, if he has 150 Premier League goals, that'll push him right up the charts, I think. You know, it'll be one of them. We'll remember him more fondly when he's gone. And like you said, he scored one of the most iconic goals ever in Premier League history when he won the league in, in 2011, I think it was. So I think he will go down as, as a Premier League great. And if he hadn't have been so, you know, so struggled so much with injuries over the years, he could have achieved even more, really. What about Newcastle then, who they beat? Uh, Danny, they're a bit of a fucking joke, really, aren't they? If, uh, if they don't manage to sell by... Well, really, this week, do you think Benitez will walk? Yeah, this, he, he definitely keeps deflecting when asked about uh, contract extensions, and uh, yeah, I'd worry, I'd worry for Newcastle. There, uh, listen, there's so many teams. I looked at after Swansea's uh, great win last night. You look at the bottom of the table, and I think up uh, up to ninth at Watford. There's six points in it. There's nine or ten, there's nine or there's, sorry there's eleven or twelve teams in a relegation battle, and let none of them forget they're in a relegation battle. Maybe may, maybe Leicester, Leicester. I'd even include Everton are up there. Everton are in a relegation battle. There's so many teams that's so tight. You win two or three games. And Newcastle, Newcastle have maybe 23 points. They got a bit, they had a bit, after about nine games at 14 or 15. So they've, they've been really, really struggling for a long, long time. There's no money to spend. There's a lot of obviously boardroom discussions going on, or or not, uh, as the case may be, with people saying um, that they haven't heard anything and there's no offer on the table. I don't think any of this really affects the players that much. It'll affect Rafa Benitez because he doesn't like he he's been he's been here and done it before with Liverpool, and I'd say at the moment he's feeling. He's feeling a little bit isolated. He knows he needs some players. He needs some bums on seats. But I don't think Mike Ashley. He, he, Mike Ashley's not going to throw money into the club now uh, if if there's a chance, even a half a chance, of selling the club. So he's in a bit of a catch twenty two situation because Amanda Staveley and uh, the guy she's uh, she's representing. There's been a lot of talk that they've uh, inserted a clause and um, that if the club gets relegated, they don't cost as much. Uh, Newcastle d- don't cost as much. And maybe some people have suggested that maybe the deal would be off if they did get relegated. So it's such a catch-22 situation. But Newcastle need, they probably need a £20 million striker if they could get someone like Daniel Sturridge even just for 10 of the last 15 or 16 games, get him, get him half fit, uh, get him on loan, someone like that, someone of that, that quality that 
that could keep them up because what they need is they need they need a striker that's going to ch- come in and do a Kevin Campbell at uh, Everton if if anyone remembers that where he came in and he scored maybe nine or ten goals in that amount of games and it was enough to keep Everton in the, in the league and um, without that they would have been goosed and they would have been gone for the first time in a long long time and I think Newcastle need the same but as I said because they're in such a a catch-22 situation where they have an owner who obviously doesn't want to spend any money on a club he wants to sell and you've got uh, prospective new buyers who want to buy the club but they want to make sure that if uh, if the club gets relegated that they don't get burned too much so I really feel sorry for, uh, for Benitez and maybe it might come to a stage I think we'll be okay I think, I think Newcastle will be okay till the end of end of January but we've only a week left and to save his reputation, maybe, uh, because he got relegated. You know, he did get relegated with Newcastle. I know it wasn't much of his doing, but this one, this one would tarnish his reputation, reputation, and would probably tarnish it to the fact that he'd probably never get a big, big job again. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him walking, and he'd have good reason to walk. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a bit of, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a conundrum up there, and. Uh, on Tyneside and uh, for uh, for Rafa Benitez and I like Newcastle as a club I, ho- I hope they sort it out soon and uh, I hope they stay up well we'll keep an eye on that one but from one club looking for uh, a top quality striker to another Chelsea uh, who did pretty well in their win against Brighton well maybe the score flattered them slightly but uh, let's chat about the, the deals that they're looking to go- to make at the moment the Andy Carroll one that we mentioned last week that fell through because obviously Andy Carroll got himself injured but they're also looking at Crouch and uh, Jekko is another one that uh, I've seen lined up Peter I'd love Ashley Barnes Ashley Barnes, Barnes yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but like, I, like I, honestly it, it, it's, it's just insane like it, it's like they just have a like a list of like just players who are above six foot three in the Premier League. Who are they? And like just running down the list. And it's you had that said to me, right? Name the name the Premier League manager who's going to be linked with Ashley Barnes, Andy Carroll, Peter Crouch in the January transfer market. I would have said Sam Allardyce, or well, he's not a manager anymore, but Tony Pulis or something. I like I can't believe that that Chelsea are being linked with this. These, these type of players and, and I don't really get it either because when you watch them on Saturday that goal the William goal like that's really like you see Hazard Hazard even said afterwards that interchange that that's like little uh, one touch play between the front men that's what Chelsea are kind of set up to do like Murata lays it off to Hazard to Pedro to William I don't really I know they play the wing backs Alonso and, and Moses but I can't really see them you know, whipping crosses into the box all the time. Hazard said after the game that he doesn't think they need a striker and how good the combination play. And also, I, I don't think him and Conte are on the same wavelength as to exactly what the team need, if you know what I mean. So I just think it's really, really strange. I don't see, I don't even see how a player like that would really fit into the Chelsea team, like without them having to change. Like all Chelsea's players are, are top class international players. They're not players that just get the ball and feed it into it you know, put it into the box Andy Carroll type of thing. So it's very, very strange. But uh, once again, and I've said it many times on the pod, I th- since the start of the season, I thought Hazard was just superb the other day. Like when he's on form, there's few better than him. When he when he's running at players, the ball at his feet, he just must be a fucking nightmare to mark. He's, uh, he's top drawer. Like. Yeah, he sure, he, he sure is. But does anyone think that, you know, we've talked about uh, on previous pods, we've talked about 
the battle maybe between uh, the owner and the manager, um, not just uh, Conte and uh, Abramovich, but Abramovich and every manager he's had. There's always been some sort of uh, niggly little argument. Is Conte maybe? I don't know. You know, I know Michael Emanello has just Wants left. Wants a sack. Well, maybe wants a sack, but Michael Emanello used to be kind of in charge of um, player recruitment for um, for Chelsea, and I think before that, the Frank Arneson, this is going back a, a good while now, the Dutch guy, Frank Arneson, who uh, would have been credited with um, the development of a lot of cracking players over the year, but I don't know if there anyone is, is in charge at Chelsea at the moment. Does that mean that Antonio Conte is actually going to the board with these names and saying, okay, well, if you can't get him, I want to Yeah, him, well, I, I him. think there's a woman there, Maria Gratta something. She's kind of a, a Russian-sounded name. I think she's kind of in charge. But if, if you watch a lot of Conte's press conferences recently, like there's obviously a bit of needle there between him and the club. And he keeps saying the final decision will be the clubs. The final decision will be the clubs. So, like, I even got the impression when he talked about Bar- Barkley, he was saying it's a very good investment for the club. You know, I, as in getting Barkley in 24, 15 million. Yeah. You know, even even if Barkley doesn't really play well for Chelsea, he's a four or five year contract now, so they'd probably sell him for 40 million, even if he didn't play well in 18 months. So, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, there's obviously, he, he's, he's been pretty clear that he hasn't been getting the players he wanted. And there's obviously, um, you know, there's obviously there's obviously some problem there in terms of transfer targets and all because this is just bizarre that the players they're being linked at, linked with at the moment. And I think we talked about it last week as well about Chelsea saying that they were Chelsea aren't in the same league. They're probably still in the top ten, okay? But they used to be the number one club in Europe almost for a time for going and getting players, what they were prepared to pay, etc. But they don't seem to be at that level anymore that they're looking to do short-term deals for strikers in January and they're buying Ross Barkley on the cheap and all. They, they, you know, they used to go out and spend £50 million on Fernando Torres in January if they had a problem. Um, them days seem to be gone. They had a bigger problem after they fucking signed them. I know, yeah, yeah but them days seem to be gone. I don't know, I think Bramovich got a divorce recently as well, didn't he? So maybe that has a part to play. In uh, I, I, this, this, those sorts serious, of things. That's a serious point, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I think we've even spoken about it before. Like these things play a massive part. They mightn't look like football-related instances, but uh, you know, at at a time, you know, where a lawyer might be saying to you, might be saying to an owner, "Okay, uh, you're going through a bit of a messy divorce here. Does your does your wife want half an Ashley Barnes? Probably not. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, but she might want half a half a half a Messi or Ronaldo or something like that. So uh, yeah, you go and get yourself Ashley Barnes, get a little bum on the seat, and when this is wrapped up, Ashley Barnes is back in Burnley, and um, we'll go after someone. So there might be something like that. Obviously, total speculation, but you wouldn't be surprised because there's so many things hap- happen behind the scenes and a boardroom level and at, at home and family life. You know, even with players leaving leaving clubs, and you think, how could he leave here? You know what I mean? He loves it here, but there could be. This, I'm sure there's been many, many instance, instances of women uh, of women involved, um, and wives saying, "Listen, I don't like I don't like living here. I'm going to go back." And I'm sure these sorts of things, life, basically, what I'm saying, life plays a factor and a role. In a lot of in a lot of transfers and a lot of deals being done, so uh, this might just be another one of those uh, one of those instances happening where 
Uh, he's going through a messy divorce, and there's no money to spend at the moment. Uh, we look like we like um, the lawyer saying we look like we have no money, and it goes to court. And Abramovich's um, lawyer says, "Listen, we fucking actually tried to sign Ashley Barnes. That's how broke we are." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely think there's a big change at Chelsea now. Like you even look the way that they've been buying up and flipping young players like they're fucking cars almost over the last five or six years. You know. Um, mm. uh, I think there's a big focus there on turning it into a business now, a self-running business, instead of just being a Bramovich pumping cash into it all the time. And I saw Conte said recently anyway that uh, he was complaining about when he was at Juve, they were kind of holding the purse strings back as well. And he was saying, I don't understand why now I'm at a new club and they're also, he called it austerity measures. So there's definitely a tie of the purse strings that he compared to to what we, you know, like a decade ago, Chelsea were money bags. Like yeah. They'd blow any club out of the water. And they, they, them, them days have changed, for sure. Like. Well, obviously, they've been linked with Dzeko as well, and he's in a probably, a, well, obviously a different class to Ashley Barnes, but uh, I'd love to see Peter Crouch go there. I would absolutely love it. Not just, not just you know, to slag Chelsea off, but I just love Crouchy. I think it'd be a great deal for him, you know, finish up his career there. It'd be very nice. We'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, Arsenal. Uh, fairly easy win against uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, should we read much into this, or was it just Arsenal doing their usual thing of beating shit teams? And, uh, you know, will they be in trouble again next week? Will Mkhitaryan come in? Uh, will him coming in be a good move, do you think, Peter? Um, yeah, I'm just going to call him, him Mickey, okay? Because yeah. well I, was, I, was, well. I, was, I was trolled during the week about my pronunciation of, of Mickey. Pronunciation. <laughs> You can't even pronounce it's pronunciation. Danny, Danny, it's, a, it's, a matter, it's a matter for the police now. So, uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I, leave, I I've been advised not to comment anymore. Hello, but, Johnny uh, Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but listen, I, I actually I, I watched the game on Saturday, and uh, you know, a lot of people said when, when, when Sanchez leaves that after their loss against Bournemouth, a lot of people said. When Sanchez leaves, that's that's a really average team. And now, Palace rolled over a bit. They were terrible. But some Arsenal's attack and play in the in the first half was just brilliant. And it was the it was Arsenal football, the good side of Arsenal that had, gets lost sometimes. Is they, you know, Wenger Wenger's teams have played some cracking attacking football. Uh, they were even trying to walk the ball into the net at times. Classic Arsenal. Arsenal. But I thought right at the forefront of it, what really it was Jack Wilshire looked in top form, you know, dropping shoulders, little one-twos, just bringing the ball right up to to the opposition midfield and then laying it off and running, you know, moving on to the other side of them. And I thought, oh, you saw his assist, the back heel assist for Lacazette. I've said it before, everyone concentrates on what Ozil can't do. If you just sit back and watch how that boy, he, he doesn't even, I wouldn't say controls, he caresses the football. And it, it just, it, his vision, his choice of pass, his weight of pass, everything, is just, it, it's absolutely world class. And rumour is he might actually sign a new contract. So, it, you know, if Wiltshire and him, do, do what, there, there are still some reasons to be, you know, to be positive for Arsenal. But I, I don't think... Mickey is the is the man who's going to drive them forward the way Sanchez did at times. I think Mickey will play well in them games when they're up four 0 You know he'll do well. 
Um, I said it before, maybe pairing him with Aubameyang could be a good move, but we'll have to wait and see if they get that one over the line. But I really do think Arsenal are where they should be in the table now. They're sixth. I can't see them getting into the top four. There's just too many too many weaknesses uh, in that team for them to be able to. I think they've very much slipped behind Spurs and Liverpool now and, uh, and United and... Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think they'll be finishing in in the top six. Uh, uh, sorry, the top four, Dahl, Arsenal, um, and I think Wenger. Like I said last week, he needs to go in the summer. Simple as they they need to. Uh, they they've done all the groundwork behind the scenes, and now it's time to get a new man in because um, you know they're they're a shadow of of what I grew up seeing Arsenal as a football club. Danny, what about uh, Aubameyang? As uh, as Peter said, he's he is top class. I mean, his record in Germany proves that. Uh, it seems, have they given up on Lacazette already, I wonder? Or is there a chance that they could play the two of them together or, or what's going to happen? Yeah, they've a lot, they've a lot of options. I think uh, they've obviously lost arguably uh, their, their best player uh, in Sanchez. And for me, he was he was their best player. Certainly, they're, uh, going forward, uh, he Although offered... Finger has said offered, uh, since that actually he was a real disruptive force in the dressing room and that the team, there was an issue with the team with Sanchez. So... Yeah, well, you, you saw that. Did you, That's because he's saw, a winner. That's because he's yeah. a fucking winner. That was the problem. Yeah, yeah well, I did see him. I saw him when, he, when, he, when Liverpool played Arsenal at the start of the season. Liverpool won 4-0. He was on the bench smiling. There's small things like that. If, you re, if you're a real winner and you really give a shit if your team, if, if, if you're getting trounced 4-0, can you crack a smile? There should be nothing anyone can say at that time for you to crack a smile. Um, there was definitely the inc- incident against, uh, I keep talking about incidences, and I can barely pronounce the fucking word, um, so I'll stop that. The but um, I, The time, yeah, I was trying to mix it up. The time, remember that time um, they were playing, I think it was Bournemouth uh, quite recently, where five of the team went to celebrate at the halfway line, and Sanchez um, obviously had a couple of his mates come over and, and celebrate with him, and he looked around, and uh, there was no one to be seen. So that obviously gave us an indication that there was there was uh, some division in the camp, and yeah, I have to say fair play to Arsenal because I th- and but fair play to Sanchez because I I know um, Wenger did say that he was available. He was, he was at the hotel um, the night before and he was available and said and he said he was very professional in his manner that he would play against Crystal Palace even though um, the deal to Man United was was edging very um, edging a lot closer, but. If you look at the way Arsenal started the game, they were 4 0 up after 22 minutes. You know, like to be 4 0 up in a Premier League game after 22 minutes, it's a fantastic start. But it just goes to show that maybe these players, they had a point to prove that A, it wasn't all about him, and B, that. Uh, yeah, maybe he had been he'd been the reason that they hadn't been trying so hard, and maybe he was he was detracting from what was a good team spirit. Because I, I spoke about it last week. All it takes is a couple of bad eggs, um, and we spoke about Arsenal having many bad eggs in the basket, uh, possibly. But sometimes it can just take one, and and if it's if it's some guy that's like you know fourth choice keeper and he's the bad egg you're going to be alright you'll survive if it's your best player uh, and and the best player has more influence let's say over the dressing room than as I said um, the, your fourth choice goalkeeper so if he's in there and, and he's upsetting the apple cart uh, and now that he's gone maybe 
maybe Arsenal can start playing as a team, as a unit, um, and there, there there won't be that division because if you know a player wants out. Do you trust do you trust them as much? Do you, do you want them there? Although he tried, um, fans will see him trying. The players have to look. The players look at it a different way to fans looking at it. You see, I I know what you're saying there, right? But the the thing is, I, I agree. This season, he, he's been like before. I knew he was going to be moving to Man United and stuff. I, I was watching him and I was seeing him coming on and throwing his hands up in the air when he wasn't getting the ball and all that. You know, I thought over the last six months, I thought that, you know, he, he'd, his behaviour wasn't good at all. Like, And it was quite obvious that he was probably disruptive in the, in the dressing room. But I think that, like I said, he, he was a winner. And I, I think the failings that, that we've all said Arsenal have had for the last decade have been there with this current squad as well, OK? So I, I think he just got to a point where he was fed up. And I, I think even Arsenal fans, most of them, up until recently, you know, kind of understood his position a bit because, you know, supposedly he even agreed a new deal until they got pumped 10-2 on aggregate uh, by Bayern Munich last year. And... You know, this Arsenal squad, you can say, oh, they had a good team spirit there, but they were the same flaky Arsenal that, you know, this isn't a different Arsenal squad. Ah, uh, no, Peter, I'm not, Peter, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I don't reverse my uh, judgments that quickly. I, after what I said last week, I'm not changing everything and saying everything's rosy in the Arsenal garden and the team spirit is sorted now uh, uh, because one poison guy is left. I'm not saying that at all because I know what Arsenal do. They'll they'll put on a show. Arsenal are, Arsenal are quite fake in my eyes. They'll put on a show for a week or two and then they'll revert to type. I'm not saying. I'm I'm really am saying that. I think uh, Arsenal uh, that that Sanchez was holding the back. I know Sanchez is a winner, um, but if he was poisoned in the in the changing room, they're going to come out and put up a bit of a front to say, "Look, we're we're we're, we're all right without Sanchez." I think inevitably, invariably, sorry that th- they're gonna they're gonna suffer uh, the same sort of problems, even when you, you bring in Mkhitaryan and Agbongyang, because I said from the start they're not the sort of players. They're the sort of players every team wants to see and supporters want to see because. They're they're great on the eye and they're exciting and they're exotic players. Arsenal know what they need um, and and they lack it and and they won't get it under this manager. He's he's not going to change now. He's too old. He's too old to change at this stage. So yeah, no, don't think that I'm being flaky and think that Arsenal, uh, I've got it sorted. I just think Arsenal put in a performance or two like like they will do. And then they'll revert to type, and I still, I fully agree with you on that front. I ex- fully expect Arsenal to finish sixth, but Arsenal can go out and beat all the all, all the poor teams very, very handsomely because they have so much. They've been ingrained in playing lovely football, and if a team can't cope with them, they can go out and absolutely hockey you. But we all know where their failings lie, and uh, we won't go through that again. Talk about United then, and obviously Sanchez has signed now. Uh, United won one nil. Martial scored again. So where does Sanchez fit into this team, Peter? That's that's the that's the thing that we're all waiting to see, really, isn't it? Um, I, I think one of the good things with him is that he he can kind of play he can kind of play anywhere across the across the front. You know, he played for Udinese. He played from the right. Um, he had his best time with Barcelona from the right. He's obviously looked really good for Arsenal on the left or as a, a as a central striker so 
he could go in anywhere um, there. Uh, you know, if United choose to play with a number 10, he could also go in there. So it's going to be interesting to, to see where he plays. But I would imagine that he'll play in, in, a, in a variety of roles for United. You know, he, he'll, move, he, he'll move across the front line. I, I can't see Mourinho... You know, giving up on Lukaku because he's always played with that focal point striker. So who misses out then? Um, uh, I I think I, I'd say he might start him on the right, Sam, uh, because I don't think he can really drop Martial after scoring three goals in three games in the Premier League. I think Rashford could suffer because Mar- I've said it before. It just it, I I know he's young and he's local and all the rest, but ultimately, you know, who would you put your money on scoring a one-on-one chance? You'd pick Martial every day of the week. So yeah, I think Martial might be limited. Lingard might might fall out of place a little bit, although he can kind of cover a bit more of that central midfield role from the number 10 role. So it, it'll be quite interesting. And and I think, as we all know, Jose Marino tends to change his, his setup to adjust to other teams quite often. So I think Sanchez will, will play all across the front line. So it'll be interesting to see. But it was just one, I, I saw a lot of... I saw a lot of shit actually during the week. I wanted to bring it up was about um, Sanchez, you know, Martin Keown and these fellas calling him a mercenary for going to Man United. Like, and I'm not saying for a second now that uh, you know that that money didn't have a major part to play in him going there. I understand that 100. Um, percent I do think on the other side, everyone goes, "Oh, he should go to Man City." Um, you know, him and Pep used to be. Used to he used to be his coach and they're perfect for each other and all, but he didn't have a great season under Pep at Barcelona. Pep left him on the bench a lot, and um, he only played twenty odd games. He was injured. He was in and out of the team. So his best seasons at Barcelona were after Pep left. And um, Pep has come out since and said he didn't really he didn't manage him that well at Barcelona. And I think that's why he wanted to link up with him again. But you know this thing that uh, that he was a mercenary. I, I think you know it's like supposedly. Sanchez grew up in like really bad poverty in Chile, you know what I mean? And uh, he didn't have a pair of football boots till he was about 13. The mayor of the town he grew up in had to buy him. He used to do tricks on the side of the street, like in his bare feet and all. And uh, like, who the fuck are we to be judging a fellow like that for, for trying to make as much money as he can in, in a short career? And like, he's gone to Man United, one of historically the biggest clubs in the year, in the world. I know they're not playing the best football at the moment. They're a, a good bit behind City, but they won two trophies last year as well. Um, they've proven they're going to keep spending money until they kind of get it right eventually. And it's as if, man, like, go to Man City. Oh, don't go to United for the money. But, like, but look at Man City. Like, they're the, the, the biggest club of mercenaries in football pretty much over the last decade since Chelsea fell away. Because, like, you look at Aguero. You look at Silva, Company, Torre. They went to City back 2011 when they ha- hadn't won anything in about 40 or 50 years. All they had was was oil-rich money. So, like, how could anybody ever accuse a player of going to Man United over Man City as purely for money? Because City are the ultimate money club in Europe, maybe except for PSG. Pep wouldn't be there unless he hadn't gone in with the with the promise of, you know, outbidding pretty much every club. Every time he went for a player, okay, United gazumped them this time, but City have gazumped how many other clubs over the year, over the last five, six years? So I, I just thought a lot of the talk was very full of shit. All the accusations uh, against Sanchez were, were a bit a bit over the top, you know what I mean? He's not gone to fucking Dunfermline above Man City, like, you know what I mean? It's it's a bit mad. Like. Dunfermline play a lovely brand of football. 
They lovely do. Ra- they do. Lovely, lovely uh, he'd, he'd slot no. right into that side, right? To be fair, I think you're right, Peter. No, no, there has been there has been a lot. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of a lot of stick uh, thrown Sanchez's way. All that happened was it's like going to Sotheby's and and there's two people bidding on a car. You know what I mean? And someone wants to pay more money because they really want the car. They need the car a little bit more. You know that's all that happened. Uh, Man United, you're dead right. People forget like it's not. It's a small club that have just burst onto the scene in the Premier League and they're trying to flex their muscles. It's Man United. They're probably along with Real Madrid one of the, the top two biggest clubs in the world uh, with a massive tur- with huge turnover big history uh, need to start get back to start winning again and they've put their hand in their pocket because that's what they want to do the owners and uh, Ed Woodward who's who had a bit of a rough start as a uh, Chief executive, so he had a bit of a, a bit of a slow start, you know, uh, struggling to get deals over the line. These are big deals for these guys to want to happen. These guys want to flex their muscles as well. And I think you're bang on, Peter. That anyone to, that thinks that, oh my God, uh, you know, how, how could he go to Man United? It's Man United. At the end of the day, five or six years ago, people would have been saying the exact same. How could you choose Man City over Man United for the exact same fucking reason? that he's chosen this none of these none of these South American players let's not kid ourselves are very au fait with the history of uh, Premier League clubs when Sanchez joined Udinese back in what was it you know I'd say we're talking 11 or 11 or 12 years ago he hadn't heard of Man City and let's not kid ourselves that he's at home on Google and Man City and their history every day of the week money talks with these lads and it's not like it's a Steven Gerrard situation where he's at his boyhood club or a Gary Neville or a, you know, or, or a Paul Scholes. It's, it's different when these guys have no emotional attachment to the club. Money talks. And if, the, if these guys are coming from uh, impoverished areas, like you said, um, like you said, Sanchez was, he now has an opportunity to maybe not just help uh, himself and his uh his, his direct family but maybe a whole town you know he can go and maybe build a small I don't know the exact situation <laughs> he's from but he can maybe go and build a small stadium you know if, if he's getting half a million a year and he's from a really poor area and, and there's a town of three or four thousand swings and half slides a, half a million a week think all the swings and slides ha, 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 half a million half a million a week that changes lives that builds he can build a school every week you know, think about it like that. He could be Pablo Escobar of the small town in Chile if he wants to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. He could be that guy. So, like, you can't slate him but for the that. Thing is, we, no, but no, but what, no, we're only slate. People would only slate him now and say he's a money hungry. He's money hungry, but he might be money hungry in the grand scheme of things when people look at us in in in, uh, in a big chasm. But after he's finished playing football no one will give a shit about him and they won't follow and see the work that he, I'm not saying he'll do it, but the the work that he might do behind the scenes, this, behind the scenes to help out uh, poor kids and families and all that. So we can't judge until after, until after a guy has, has stopped playing. If he, if he decides to stay in London in his lovely apartment and all that, not help anyone, then you can say, yeah, he was a money hungry fuck. But he might actually be looking at the greater, the greater, the greater good. I suppose. Uh, I don't think players should get in any kind of get any abuse for accepting any money that they're offered. No. You know, it's no. it's what they're offered. It's, no. it's, 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 yeah, if it's, someone is going to offer you that cash, 
You know, my, if my boss said to me, listen, I want to give you a 4,000% pay rise, I wouldn't say, oh, no, that's too much. Well, yeah, I'd say, or, I'd or say, if, or if, say, or if I'd someone say, else down the road offered it to you, you're not going to say, I know my loyalty lies here. I'm not, you know, I can't, yeah, you know, can't do it. Like so. if someone has offered me, if someone's offered me double what I earn now, I'm going to have to like seriously think about it and then probably say, yeah, okay, I'm probably going to have to go. I'm only messing with you. I'm not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, no, you know what I mean. Like it's mo- money talks to these to these people, and there's a reason why one club uh, players are usually John Terry from that Chelsea all his life, Stephen Gerrard, Gary Neville, because they're brought up there. So money, money, obviously they're not from areas like we're talking about. There's there's areas in Chile that don't compute with with the poorest areas in in Britain. There's no there's no no doubt about it. That's proper, proper poverty, I'd say. Um, and if they think they can help out a lot of people um, by going for going for the money, by all means, go for it. And who are we to judge? And if someone's stupid enough to pay for it, it's not like people these clubs are paying it because they can't afford to pay it. They're not putting themselves under under pressure of going out of business with this one deal. United, no. The United have a, a decent accountant, I'd say. And I'd say he says, yeah, we can afford to do this. We're going to sell X amount of shirts. He's going to, uh, on a law of averages, he's going to get us, uh, win us X amount of things. TV deals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we can afford to do it. Not even well, I just think it's though. ironic. I think it's ironic though that that, that people were were using City as as the club because, yeah. like you poor, said, oh poor you, City, oh poor you City. Know, missed he, out. Did Sergio Aguero grow up watching videos of fucking Mike Summerby and Colin Bell when he was a young fella? No, no exactly. like you said, he he, did, he hadn't even heard of them. And you know, it, okay, even these people come from South America, they all heard of Man United. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Even when they're grown up, so to, to be like used as like, twenty, 20 years ago, Man, Man City were playing Gillingham in a league in a league in a League One playoff. You know where, where they were where they were lucky to get out of the league where they were two 0 down, um, and I think uh, a couple of penalty saves from um, uh, what was his name? Nicky Weaver, wasn't? Weaver, yeah, Nicky Weaver. Thanks very much. From Nicky Weaver, got them in, into what we now call the Championship. You know, they could have still been languishing down there, and I don't think uh, uh, Prince McToom would have been looking at at, at buying at buying a side in league in uh, in League One. So, twenty years ago, that's where they were. Twenty years ago, Man United were beating Bayern Munich pretty much. Twenty years ago, beating Bayern Munich in a Champions League final. So people people are quick to forget, and they, and we do live in the now. You know, um, so no one should be looking at poor Man City. Man City have come a long, long way in 20 years and they've signed a lot of players on the back of their uh, their purse strings. So that Man United goes up to them on this one. I think they should be fair enough. They should look at it and say, all right, yeah, you can't win them all. So fair play to United for putting their hand in their pocket. I that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what? Even if they don't, players... That was, hard that, was, that was hard for me yeah, I bet it was, yeah. Even players, though, when they finish their career, if they don't go on and do loads of great humanitarian work, you know, it's a long life after football, so, you know, make it while you can, I always think. Anyway, should we have a yeah, quiz? Definitely. Yeah, let's quiz it up. Let's do a quiz. Right, so this week, I'm going to... I've, I've got three players, and I've got the list of all the clubs that they played for. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to read out the clubs, and then you oh. tell me what player I'm looking for, okay? Yeah. Right, so the first player started his career at Manchester United. Then went to. Crew. Oh, who could it be? <laughs> then went to Crew Alexandra. Oh, Danny. Danny. 
David Platt. No. Peter. Yeah. Robbie Savage. It was Robbie Savage. Amazing. <laughs> Very I good. I love that man. I, yeah, know well. I know it's like shoe and everything he takes. Uh, still had. He, he was he he was one of the uh, he was one of the um, class of ninety two. Class ninety two, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dario Grady took him on then. Yeah. Still had Leicester, Hello. Birmingham, Blackburn, and Brighton to uh, go through there. So well done, Peter. Point for you. Player number two then started his career at Welling United. I'm going to assume nobody's going to get it from that one. Uh, then went to Birmingham City. Had a short spell on loan at Notts County before making the move permanent. Oh, Danny. Danny? I am going to go for Casper Schmeichel. No. No, Man City, he's there today. Then yeah, no, he's at Notts County. That's what I was thinking. Then he went to Fulham. Danny, 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 Danny. I thought this, I, it was the first person I thought of when I said it. Uh, and I might be wrong now, but I'm going to say Chris Smalling. No. No. no, no, no. He did start non-league though to Fulham. He went straight to Fulham, I think. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. So from Fulham, he went to Liverpool. Danny, Steve Finning. It Fuck was Steve, Steve Finning. Yeah, well Fuck done, Danny. Next one's I knew he was uh, Welling as well. Then he went to Espanyol in Portsmouth, finishing up his career there. Right, final one. Then it's one all. It all hinges on this. So started his career at Mets. Danny. Danny. Louis Saha. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did start his career at Mets as well. But anyway, go on. Then Someone went else. to Marseille. Oh. Uh, Peter. 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 Didier Drogba. No. Oh, fuck. Then went to Arsenal. Danny. Danny. No, no, sorry, I was thinking, uh, it's not, it's definitely not him, it's not, Peter. Peter. Manuel Petit. No. No, don't, don't, no, no. Peter, no. Peter. Peter. Hey, come back to me when you get a shot. Can I go? Yeah, go on. Lacazette. No. I went to Leon. No, she signed from Leon, you soap. Yeah. Uh... Do you want the next um, next club? Could, yeah, yeah, go on, yeah. Villarreal. Danny, 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 Danny. Uh, it's got to be Perez. It is Robert ah, Perez. Bollocks. Bollocks. Take it out of that. Take it out of that. Then he went to Aston Villa and finished up at Goa in the Indian Super League. So, uh, well done, Danny. Oh. Danny, you got two. I would have got one. it when you got to Goa. If you had to Goa, I would have had it. <laughs> All right, well done, Danny. Danny, you got the points. Uh, let's crack on then. And Spurs were held, uh, but Kane scored again. And a uh, great result for Southampton, but they might be in danger now. They're uh, 18th with just 14 games left. Uh, was it just a bad day at the office for Spurs? Was it Southampton finally sort of digging themselves out of trouble? What, what do you reckon, Peter? Yeah, it wasn't really, well, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things, a, a point against Spurs for for a team that's struggling like Southampton is, isn't the worst thing in the world because Spurs were in really good form going into that game. But um, yeah, I think Spurs just you know it, uh, Carl's talked about it over and over again. They 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 struggle in certain games. Uh, I think they mixed they missed Ericsson the other day as well. 
Um, they struggle when teams defend deep against them uh, at times, and, and they need that little little uh, something different. But you know, it, it, they had that bad run a month or two ago, and they're still trying to re- recover from it now. And uh, you know, it, again, it, like an away draw in the Premier League, any away game, as Liverpool's proved last night, can be tough in the Premier League. I think as fans, everything you know. We all just kind of forget sometimes, even pundits. It's like, oh, yeah, that'll be an easy win. But most of the time, a lot of the time, anyway, it isn't. So I think everybody was saying that they missed Ericsson, that extra little bit of link between midfield and attack. And and, and maybe so. I only saw the highlights, to to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, I think Carl, Carl would back back me up that day, yeah. Yeah, they probably need to to get get a signing in. Um, I saw that they were linked with with Lucas Mora today. That might that would definitely give them an extra bit of pace. Um, and I think they suffered the other day as well because supposedly Son, who's you know Kane's been getting the goals, but Son's probably been their most informed player. Um, he was a bit off the boil as well the other day. So um, interestingly enough, though United play them next on. Next Wednesday, so the way yeah, the Wednesday after the FA Cup next week, and Spurs are Spurs are eight points away from United now. I think how many away from Liverpool, Danny? Is it two uh, away from Liverpool and two? Uh, yeah, and they, uh, yeah. They've, they've they've got Liverpool and Arsenal in the next three games as well. Um, yeah. So they're, so they're a tough little run. If United were to say, I, I I to be honest, I'd say United be well. You never know, Sanchez. Say if United did go to uh, to Wembley and they bet Spurs. They'd be United would be eleven points clear of them um, with, with whatever only fourteen fifteen games left. That that'd be Spurs. I wouldn't say chances of the top four gone, but if they you know realistically, if they do have Arsenal and Liverpool coming up in the next few games as well, um, they they need to get it together fast. Otherwise, the, their chances of the top four could be gone very very shortly. Tottenham were done a favour last night um, by Swansea. Uh, Liverpool would have opened up a five-point gap, which isn't massive, but with the run Tottenham have, they have to go to Anfield, they have to play United, they have to play Arsenal soon. Uh, you know, that that could have gone to seven or eight points, and seven or eight points at this stage of the season, with, which would have been kind of 12, 13 games left. It's, it's a big enough gap. So... Um, Last night, their point against it happened doesn't look like the worst now because um, Liverpool have uh, Liverpool have shot themselves in the foot last night, which is uh, just another result in the bipolar week that is supporting Liverpool. Um, it's just so so hit and miss. Uh, someone someone sent something to me. That it's like Liverpool are like Robin Hood, you know, stealing from the rich to give to the poor, you know, and it's it's so true. Liverpool were okay. I think some people are going over the top saying they were absolutely shocking last night. They were obviously a bit slower, you know, uh, moving the ball. But I have to say, I, I, I enjoyed the um, the post match uh, analysis by um, by. He's great. He's great, crack Carvajal, isn't he? Well, I was actually going to say Billich. Sorry, I was going to say Billich and then Carvajal. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the post match analysis. Uh, by uh, Billich, um, who I thought uh, actually went up a little bit of, in my estimation. I thought maybe he was just a bit of a, uh, you know, a nice guy and a, a good time Charlie. He um, he put uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Carragher kind of in his place a couple of times in relation to some setups and formation and um, 
players' uh, position, but that he wouldn't he, he would have liked players to be in certain situations. I thought he was very very good. So, open my eyes um, a little bit to the detail that these Premier League managers actually do go into. But um, it was a new, uh, uh, relatively new, well, a brand new uh, uh, Premier League manager, Carlos Carvajal, that uh, summed up the game quite 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 well. Um, when he said Liverpool are like a Formula One car, if you throw a Formula One car into traffic at four o'clock on a Friday in London, can't really show off its wares. And I thought that's I thought that's what Swansea did. They were very good. They they let Liverpool have the ball in a space that Liverpool couldn't do any damage with and closed the spaces very quickly in areas that um, Liverpool were relying on flicks around corners and tricks. And when you're relying on that. You know, it has to be inch perfect. Arsenal are good. I think Arsenal are very good and scored one against Palace, the Lacazette goal, which shows off what Arsenal can do when they're on song. But when a team's defending as deep as uh, as, Pal- as uh, Swansea were the other night, um, they can be very hard to break down. Liverpool probably had enough chances to uh, to, to definitely draw the game, but they, they had enough chances probably to win the game. Swansea had one chance and it's one of those games Liverpool seem to they seem to be on the end of a lot of those they play teams they boss the game um, one, uh, the opposition has one or two chances they invariably score from one of those two chances Liverpool have five or six chances after that I just can't take it it was a really frustrating night as a fan to watch you could see how frustrating it was for the manager Klopp who was getting into you know getting into nearly some handcuffs with a uh, Fans, which you don't use, which you don't really see, but yeah, a really frustrating night for Liverpool. Uh, a one, a win would have just opened up a nice little healthy five-point gap to Tottenham in, in in fifth, and an eight-point gap to Arsenal, and it would have been a case of they would have needed to really up their game to catch uh, Liverpool if, if they could. But now, you know, there's only two points in it. Tottenham now go to Liverpool but, and, and think a win there would uh, leapfrog them ahead of Liverpool. A lot of records not great there. So there's, there's, there, there's all, uh, there is all to play for. Uh, yeah, it was a massive result for Swansea. They're just uh, three points away from safety now. And actually, there's only eight points separating ninth from the bottom. So it'll be interesting to watch the bottom half of the table as much as uh, the race for the top four. Uh, finally, then, let's just do prick of the week. Peter, who have you got? Yeah, I'm going to do something a bit different this week, lads. I'm going to go for multiple pricks of the week. I'm going to go for a quadruple prick of the week. I'm going to go for Everton, Watford, Marco Silva and Sam Allardyce. Because uh, I think as we all know, and it was it Sunday morning we woke up to, to the news that uh, Silva got the boot from Watford and Watford basically came out and blamed the reason for sacking him, the poor run of form, on being the fact that Everton disrupted him um, when they wanted to be him to be their new boss back before Christmas. So it just seems to me that that out of that, you know, Everton then had to go. He was their first choice. They offered fifteen million. Watford wouldn't take it, so he was forced to stay, even though he wanted to go. And that obviously, you know, filtered through to the players and results start slipping. A bit like in the Harry Redknapp to England scenario a few years back. Um, but then Everton had to go and give Sam Allardyce a load of money, even though they didn't really want him. And now Sam's in there, and after getting a little bit of a bounce, Everton's fans' worst fears of him just playing, you know, long ball football and, you know, barely having shots on goal has come true. So it just seems to me like everybody has lost out of that deal. All four people involved lost out. 
Everton are stuck with Sam Allardyce who they don't want. Um, Watford had to sack their manager because their manager wanted to go to Everton. Silva, who was supposed to be the bright new thing, is now gone. He has no club. So they're all just a bunch of pricks. Yeah, fair enough, Danny. Yeah, well, I'm going to bring. Uh, I'm going to have one that was um, actually just came up during the pod, um, and uh, my prick of the week is Tevez, um, who, who back in the day um, chose to leave Man United to go to uh, Man City, and how dare he back in the day? And that was definitely not because of a love for uh, Man City, but definitely for the cash. But I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I think you have, Sam. Anyway. Um, but uh, Tevez, he's gone back to Argentina saying uh, he just spent the last seven months on holiday in China, all the while picking up 650 grand a week. He's a cheeky bastard, that lad. And there's an example of a man that's hungry for the cash. And we have to say fair play to him. He's grand. But he just laughs about it, I think. He's just rubbing it in people's faces, you know. Obviously didn't have much of an allegiance to uh, his club over in China with all the rich history of the club over in China and all that, you know. <laughs> do, do, you uh, remember he, do you remember he was suspended by City and he was just taking pictures of playing golf and all? He just doesn't yeah, give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. The, the IQ of a fart, I'd say. I don't think we can uh, give it to you, Danny, seeing as we spent the first half of the show defending players, taking their money whenever they can get yeah, it. No, yeah, I know. So, but yeah, uh, he's but still that's a, a fair point. Absolute prick. Yeah, absolute <laughs> yeah, prick. Yeah. Definitely. But uh, yeah, Peter, the, you've got your four pricks all in a row there. Wait, that oh, doesn't yeah. sound right, does it? Anyway, no, no. fuck it. Uh, no, have a it good doesn't. show, everybody. Or thanks for the uh, thanks for that, lads. And uh, we'll be back again next week. If you want to get involved in the show, do send us an email to podcast at thefootballfaithful.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. See you, Peter. See you later, lads. Chat see, you soon. See you, Danny. See you, boys. Enjoyed that. And goodbye from me. 